three times. Brink, 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 I'm gonna brink. Blink three times. So Brian, what have you been up to lately? You know, I I won't say migration this time. I, I don't have to say migration this time. <laughs> You're not migrating anymore. It's, you know, it's, you found you found your winter home. You <laughs> my winter home, yeah. <laughs> Downtown San Antonio, going in and out of the uh, <laughs> the parking garage and getting frozen. I remember doing that last year. So mm. downtown San Antonio, working with a customer, we're doing. Uh, Kind of, I'd say onboarding and offboarding work. They have a workflow engine. This particular customer has Bizagi, so that's their new okay. enterprise workflow uh, solution. And we're using Microsoft Identity Manager to integrate with that in order to have a form, kind of like we used to have in InfoPath and SharePoint, mm-hmm. to uh, send the information down to MIM. It would write it in a SQL table, and then we would read that from the SQL table. Well, the other piece of this that we have now is Workday. So we have Workday that is the source mm-hmm. of record, the source of authority is how we call it in the identity world. Right. Um, and Workday, basically, that's where HR brings the new people on board. That's the first step in the onboarding process. Then we have the Bizagi form reading the information from Workday, or actually from a table that gets synchronized. And then we're using Microsoft Identity Manager to provision on-premises, active directory accounts and things like that. And then from there, you have Azure AD Connect. This customer is also an Office 365 customer that will synchronize the content out to Azure AD. So later on, we're going to start looking at the integrations on the Azure AD side of things. So taking Concur, taking Mm -hmm. Workday and all those type of applications that they have internally and integrating those with uh, Azure AD, taking advantage of that integration that's already there. Cool. I love the workflow stuff. I remember when InfoPath and SharePoint Designer came out. I was so excited, and I, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a developer like yourself. <laughs> and I, I just really there was a lot of power in that, right? There was a lot of power in it, and it's so and much a lot of responsibility further. that very few people actually thought about. That's right. That's so. right. And and it's funny that now we're unwinding all of this with yep. other customers, right? We're unwinding all of these things. But the good news is, is we have things like Logic Apps and we have things like Flow and we yep. have all these other things that we can look at. Uh, so there's like a lot of exciting stuff happening. I just, I like the automation behind all of it. That's what I dig. Yes, yeah, I like I going that. out there and doing the automation side of it. So Cool. So how about you? What have you been up to? Well, I was up at uh, IT Dev Connections in Dallas a couple of weeks ago presenting um, at that conference. Okay. It was a great conference, by the way. Um, had a great time up there. Had a chance to interface with some really cool people. Yeah. Um, and uh, my, my session on uh, laying down the law, governing your data in Office 365. I was, love that. Uh, was well received. Uh, it, it was it was fun because there had been some new features that had come out uh, okay. specifically around sensitivity labels. And yeah. It had we come were out. About that. It had come out like a few days before the conference, and I was like, Ah, this is brand new. How am I going to handle that? But we integrated it well into the whole conversation, yeah. and uh, people really seem to enjoy it. They they like my laundry analogy and uh, around you know data management. Yeah. And uh, everybody seems to you know we're, we're we're getting I'm getting a good flow of there's tenant controls, there's item level controls, there's still Exchange and SharePoint controls, and really the solution right now is to use all of them 
as opposed to just one. I mean, wow. so don't go siloed yeah. again. Don't go tenet, Well, tenant, you know, the problem with like tenant level labeling and tenant level retention policies is they're not uh, flexible enough. So we'll leave it at that. And maybe yeah. that's, maybe that's a topic for a future podcast that yeah. we can talk about. So when I think a lot of that stuff is, is coming about, especially with labels and Azure labels, you know, merging eventually down the road, you know, I think that's something that, uh, I would like to see happen sooner than later. I know they've, it seems like they've been dragging their feet on it, but behind the scenes, you kind of understand what needs to happen there in order this to make true. that happen. This so. is true. So, once again, I'll come back and say, we're on iTunes. Go out and look yes. us up on iTunes, The Cloud Whispers. We've gotten a couple of reviews now. Yeah. Yay. I need to get one of those people, uh, uh, you know, a, a gift certificate to the Catapult uh, gift shop um, over here in uh, in our break room. Um, so please go out and do that. And, and frankly, if you've got a question for us, if you've got a topic you want us to talk about, yeah. um, you know, tweet at us uh, at the Cloud Whispers. Uh, that's our Twitter handle, and you can tweet at that, uh, or just you know, email uh, Brian or I, and uh, we'll be happy to uh, to include that. Uh, maybe once maybe we'll get enough questions, we can actually do like a mailbag episode. Yeah, something along those lines. And we yeah. were just talking about coming up with a list of things whenever we think about it for topics. Because sometimes we sit here, hey, what are we going to talk about? Yeah, that, that, there is a lot. A thing. There's a lot to talk about. There really this is, is but it's really a matter of what's what's you know what's hot at the time. You know, well, you had some questions you specifically brought wanted to bring up this time. So yeah, why don't we jump I, into that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I really appreciate you taking the time to answer those questions too, because it. I use, I've been saying migrations a lot lately. I've been saying yep. that. What have you been up to? Migrations, migrations. I sound like a broken <laughs> record. You know? It's like well, one of the things that almost always happens with any kind of migration is you have a workload like Exchange that normally goes first. And then SharePoint and some of these other workloads are either a second thought or afterthought. Or it's just it's, it's one of those things that I, I know enough about. But the things that I don't know about is, hey, would it make sense to do hybrid in this case? What migration tool could we use? So I guess for me, what I want to know is whenever we talk about SharePoint migrations and I get in this scenario with a customer where they're asking me about this, when should I go online? Why should I go to SharePoint online, right? Why, why should I do that in the first place? Well, and, and that's a great question. So, I mean, the first thing, there's two basic possibilities here, right? Okay. One is that the customer already has SharePoint on-premise, some version of SharePoint. And they're already using SharePoint in some capacity. And the second one is the customer is not using SharePoint at all, right? Maybe they just have file shares. Maybe they've, ne- they've never implemented SharePoint or everybody hated SharePoint. Okay. Um, and so, so it's just sitting there. It's sitting there yeah, doing it's sitting there. Or, 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 or like I said, it's not, it doesn't exist at all. Okay. Right. We have, I have, literally I have customers today who have, don't have SharePoint installations on premise. Yeah. And now they're looking at move out, moving out to the cloud and they're kind of going, well, what should I do with all these files? Okay. okay? And so, my response to that is, you know, should you go online? Yes, you should go online. There, there's stability. There's uh, the fact that you're on the latest version. The the flexibility is great, uh, and and it's where Microsoft is putting all their investments. Yep. Okay, so definitely move out to the cloud when it comes to that. The question is, you know, what and how do I move out to the cloud? Okay, and that's where things get a little bit more complex. So you know, so so to answer your first question. When should you move to the cloud? Immediately, right? Yeah, right away. And so the, Take the, advantage the, of the latest technology. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, really, you should get email turned on, get a hybridized environment almost immediately so that even if you before you've migrated everybody, you can actually take advantage of Exchange Online 
you want to get you want to get um, your your Teams and Skype for Business um, chat communication infrastructure up and running almost immediately, which yeah. is not that difficult unless you're doing Great, VoIP. Not, yeah. If you're doing VoIP, it gets more complex, right? But yeah. you can turn it on. You should get OneDrive and SharePoint turned on as quickly as possible. I'm not saying that you're using them ext- extensively yet, yeah. but get the foundations in place so that you can solve your problems using Office 365. Right. Right. And a lot of those clients too are they're they're defaulting to those OneDrive and the SharePoint locations and things like that. That's something that you can change later on, right? But right. I mean I think and, that's something to consider as well. And so there's a couple things to think about. There are some things that don't move to the cloud either at all or they don't move easily. Okay. So the first thing that doesn't move at all is have you written custom farm level code? Okay. So if you've written code that's deployed to your servers and it's doing SharePoint work for you, that stuff is not going to go out to the cloud. You are going to have to re-architect that. To um, match whatever the, to, right, because the, the, the backend the, is. For because we, we're not allowed to deploy server-level code out to the cloud. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Um, so there's a different paradigm in how we do things, and you're going to have to rebuild those things. Um, the second thing that is difficult to move out to the cloud are InfoPath forms. Okay? okay. And the reason for that is because they can't read. Well, there's two reasons. One, they're deprecated by Microsoft, so we need to get off them anyway. Yep. But um, uh, the more direct reason they're a problem has to do with the fact that they don't consume the SharePoint web services. And a lot of people use those to pre fill in the identity of. Yeah. Whoever the person is filling in the form, right? Sure. Yeah, so while sense. they can, yeah, and so there's a few things like that that make it a little bit more difficult for InfoPath forms to migrate. And then the third thing that has a, that has some difficulty migrating are workflows. Whether yeah. they're SharePoint Designer or whether they're third-party workflows, migrating workflows is a can be a difficult process depending upon how whether those workflows are very short-lived, like a mm-hmm. day or less, yeah. or what if they're workflows that last months at a time. Right. right? You might and be in so, the middle of that cycle. Exactly. Yeah. And so deciding how you're going to do that becomes a complex situation, right. which, of course, means that you're not like, unlike email, where I may migrate if I have a 1,000-person organization, right? You could probably give me a good estimation of how long it's going to take me to move everybody up to the cloud. That's right. Right? Yeah, we do it all the time. You do it all the time. Baseline right? during pilot, and it, we let it, you know. It, exactly. And so maybe it's a few weeks, maybe it's a month or two, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that time works out to be. We have a very, because moving somebody to the cloud from the email mailbox is relatively straightforward, yep. right? SharePoint is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Okay, and so what ends up happening is we we usually can't do these migrations quickly. Okay, okay, and and one of the main reasons that we can't, I mean, we, there's things we could do. For example, I could take a site from on premise and I can move it out to the cloud, and I can move it exactly as it is, same look and feel, mm-hmm. classic architecture. However, I've moved something that is older old style, right? And I've moved mm-hmm. it into a place where I have a new way of doing things, the modern UI, the modern and UI. I'm putting it in the old style. And once I get it out there, what are the odds that I'm going to re-architect that into the correct solution? Sure. Right? Yeah. It's pretty low. Right. So this is, when we move, when we do this migration, we're going to want to go from classic to modern. We're going to want to make the changes to our data at that point in time. So since that's going to take longer than a month, a mm-hmm. couple of months, right? Depending on how much content you have and how complex it is, 
you're going to most likely end up in a hybridized scenario. Okay. And that means that I'm going to continue to run my SharePoint farm on premise and I'm going to I'm going to move functionality from that farm out to the cloud and then I'll use navigation to link the two. To link the two. So I may move my landing page early on and that's where people yeah. go for, for all their new information. But then when they click on a particular menu, it may take them back down to the on-premise farm to do an InfoPath form or to complete a workflow because we're not ready to re-architect and move that just yet. So the, the storage behind the scenes, the storage, you know, where these sites are stored and all that, that's not necessarily hybrid. It's just that we're linking the two, right? We're not even, you don't even have, there's not really much in the way of linking the two in the first place. Okay. There's two hybridized SharePoint settings that you can do with Microsoft. Okay. The first one is I can move my OneDrive out to the cloud. So if I'm on premise mm-hmm. and somebody goes to their OneDrive, their profile page, okay. instead of them going to the one that's served up by the on-premise farm, it will send them out to delve in the cloud and OneDrive out in the so cloud. So you still have to, to migrate that. that data somewhere somehow. Well, you don't have that. That's a different situation. Okay. OneDrive mm-hmm. migrations are, are are different and they have their own complexities sure. and simplicities to them. But I don't have to migrate the the profile data. That comes from AD, right? Okay. Sure, that um, makes sense. And and their OneDrives usually the end user is the person who's migrating the OneDrive content. Okay. So really, if you go into central administration, you click a checkbox, and then anytime anybody hits a profile page on their on-premise farm, it's sending them out to to there, right? The second thing that I can do is I can do what's called hybridized search. Hybridized search means that the as my on-premise farm is crawling, it is sending its index results up to the cloud. Okay. And so I get, I can go out to the cloud and execute a Delve search or execute a SharePoint search, and it will give me back results both from what's in the cloud and what's on-premise. And if somebody clicks on an on-premise link, it's simply going to direct them to the on-premise link. Okay. Which, of course, means it needs to be available outside or they're going to get a can't get there from here kind of thing. Yeah, that makes right? sense. Is so, there an on-premises SharePoint requirement? Is there a version requirement for that? Um, you can do it with 13 or 16. Okay, 13 or 16. Yeah. yeah. It, it works better with 16, right? Sure. Uh, but but uh, you, you, you can get it to work with 13. We normally recommend 16 because of the simplicity aspects of it. Sure. And then what you can do is create a very small 16 farm that then can talk to the other SharePoint farms and crawl them. Oh, if you need okay. To, that makes sense. Right? You don't have to yeah. make every single farm yeah. connected. You usually have one farm that is your search crawler. And by the way, it can crawl anything it can see internally, yeah. right? So if you have file shares you want to crawl or something like that, you could do that theoretically. Yeah. But that's it. From a, So unlike a lot of other hybridized arrangements, right? When you think about it with Exchange, there's all, I mean, mail routing can be, you know, hybridized. Yep. I can people who are in the cloud and on-premise, none of that really is applicable to SharePoint. From a connection standpoint, it's just those two connections. Yeah. And so everything else we do hybridized, we are doing manually. Manually. It's a manual process. Right. It's a very manual process. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it easy on the end users yeah. so that they aren't confused. Take away the pain points. Right. So they, they click on a menu setting to say, I want to go look at HR. Well, HR, maybe HR is out in the cloud. So they go out to the cloud. Then from there, they click on another one that says, take me to sales and fill out this form, or even an HR, say so fill out this form, custom it sends them back, it sends yeah. them back down to yeah. on-premise. And so the only thing we really want to make sure we do there is try to keep, you know, people are going to notice the difference because the, it's going to look different when they go to different places. Yeah. But for the most part, what we're trying to do is make it as easy on them as possible. Okay. And eventually, somewhere down the road, the, the goal 
in a lot of cases would be to get to SharePoint Online. Right. And, and so the way we recommend doing that, and we found this works pretty well, is don't focus on content migration because content migration doesn't really deliver to you the right kind of migration. What I mean by that is if I look at a, a classic site collection, it can have many sites inside of it. A root site, it can have many subsites, which can also have subsites. Well, when you get to the modern UI, everything is flat. It's flat. one site per site I've collection, that yeah, right? I've heard that. So the, the Microsoft term is hub before you sub, right? So we yeah, don't do sub sites. Sub. I've heard that too. We, yeah. we, we create hub sites and we group site collections together that way. That means that as I take my site collections that are on premise and move them out to the cloud, mm -hmm. I'm actually going to have to re architect how they're laid out from a navigation standpoint. Yeah, that makes okay? sense. In addition to that, I'm gonna, I may have to re-architect how my workflows are being done mm -hmm. or re-architect how I'm going to do form uh, data collection through forms. Governance. And governance and all kinds of things. Yeah. So what we tell people is if you do a content-focused migration and you're focusing on I've got 850 site collections with... 2,000 sites and I have to move all this stuff out to the cloud, well, is that, that means I need 2,000 site collections to the cloud. No, it doesn't mean that at all because what you really should be doing instead is saying, what are the processes, what are the business processes, the user stories, the use cases, yeah. the, the, the journey maps, whatever terminology you use in your organization to describe that. What are those processes that are out there that I, that I need to use SharePoint to help solve okay. or use OneDrive or use Planner or use whatever these things are to solve. And then what we recommend is identify those processes and architect those solutions in the cloud. Okay. okay? So for example, if I have a contract management issue, right? I need to handle contracting. So I'm going to decide I'm going to build a solution around that that involves maybe some power apps, maybe yeah. some SharePoint sites, maybe a team for some instant communication, yeah. whatever that happens to be, right? I'm going to, I'm going to craft that solution and I'm going to build it in Office in SharePoint Online. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the specific content from my on-premise that I need and I'm going to move that into this new design that yeah. I have that's out here. And so we're moving from a content-oriented way of, of organizing our data mm -hmm. into a process-oriented way of looking at our data. Well, I guess what that does for you too, right, is it allows you to, in parallel, migrate while users can take advantage of, of new, all of the Especially new because processes aren't always, that usually a process is made up of a series of sub-processes, sure. right? So if I'm talking about a contract management system, I may have one part that says we're negotiating the contract, another part that's executing the contract, yeah. another another part is contract follow-up after it's done, yeah. right? Well, I don't have to do all three of those yeah. out at once. I could do, let's just do part one of this, which is contract negotiation, and yeah. I could build that, and maybe Teams is the right way of doing that, yeah. right? But then contract, post-contract follow-up, maybe that's a SharePoint record center. Yeah. Right. So eventually I'm going to get to the right solution. Right. But what I can do is I can do this in pieces. And then when they're done with contract negotiation, they go to phase two. Well, that I may, may direct them back down to the old system for that yeah. until such time as I redesign that part. And what we do is we tell people, look, 
each of these big major processes and small minor processes, right, they've got a value to your organization mm -hmm. and they also have a, com a difficulty of completion. Yeah, okay? sure. And if what we do is we measure the difficulty to completion, which is a which is complexity and time kind of together, yep. right, as one measure, and we put that in a matrix with, with value to the organization, what I want to focus on are my high value, low difficulty first. Yep. That's my, my, my magic quadrant to use Gartner terms, right? Sure. And I'm going to do all as many of those as I can first, right? And then I might move, I might move into the high value, higher difficulty, or I might move into the lower value, but still low difficulty, depending on how I want to tackle yeah. things. Right, and, and what resources do, you have, or, or I may do both. I may do both yeah. simultaneously, but I'm, I'm going to kind of spread my way outward. And what I'm going to ignore is that low difficulty, but low value, okay. or, or I'm sorry, high difficulty, low value. Right. I won't do that stuff until last, if ever. Yeah. There's a couple point in time when the amount of work I have to do to move something, right, is more than the value it brings to my organization. Or that, that process that you went through to define that business process might replace it anyway. Well, that's true as well. And, yeah. and one of the beauties of the way we look at doing this is that we, my recommendation to organizations is do this on a monthly basis. Yeah. Don't bite off more than about a month at a time. Yeah. Okay. And then every month at the end of the month, look at your processes that you're looking at and mark off the ones that I'm done with, right? Mm -hmm. Add any new ones in that I've discovered reprioritize them yep. and then I'll know what I work on next month yep. and I can keep doing that over over yeah. month to month to month and eventually what I'm going to get is I'm going to get a bunch of stuff that's not worth doing yeah. and that's the stuff that I may, maybe I just take that and archive it to tape yeah right and go I'm just throwing I'm not throwing it away because I may need to keep it I'm just going to archive it to tape yeah. right? maybe some of that you could probably upload into Office 365 and make it searchable sure. I mean, I, yeah. that, that's another place where I might just take that stuff and move it classic to classic yeah right I mean I know those classic sites will go away eventually but I can move just the content and over that makes it searchable which makes it searchable yeah. and makes it makes it to where I've at least I've got a copy of it and I can eventually turn off my on-premise stuff but I think, you know, the, the problem with this, so, so to recap, right? Yeah. Move now. Don't Move wait. Now. Yeah, that makes right? a lot of sense. Take advantage of everything you can take advantage of, right? Co-authoring all the things. Co-authoring the, the, the modern UI, mm -hmm. uh, integration with teams, that whole collaboration and communication simultaneously. Recognize stuff that doesn't move easily. So code solutions, workflows, and and infopath forms, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And either do them later, or because you got to rearchitect them, yep. or just recognize you're going to rearchitect them, right? Um, that means you're going to be in a hybridized environment. You're not going to turn yeah. off SharePoint. Make it easy on the end users. Unlike unlike Exchange, where I can get rid of all, if not all, of my Exchange yeah. servers. You're like always in hybrid. <laughs> where, with SharePoint, you're going to be in hybrid for a long time. Yeah. Okay. And do a value based migration. Right, where yeah. I'm looking at a process, I'm looking at processes yeah. to build out in the cloud as opposed to how to move certain pieces of content. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, immediately now we have users engaging and being able to engage on these newer technologies that are in the cloud. Uh, we, right. we have them ready to go while we're moving content across. So that, that's really a, a cool way to look at it. I know we've been doing a lot of that stuff and it's funny, we're kind of going through the same struggle internally at Catapult. <laughs> well, we are. And, and that's yeah. okay because one of the things that's really cool about that is as we turn on these these, these services like Teams, mm -hmm. right, and groups and self-service site creation and SharePoint, 
guess what? Users can go out and solve their own problems. Yeah. We're not, we don't have to wait for IT to build That's the solution right. for us. That's right. They can simply go out and start building teams yep. and solving problems. They can build their own flow. Build their own flows to automate things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and that means that from an IT standpoint, we can focus in on deeper and more complex subjects. Yeah. That a lot of times we never got to focus on because we were trying to always handle this 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 constant run of user yeah. requests to build me a SharePoint site, to build yeah. me this, to do set me up an email address, that kind of stuff. Yeah, excellent, excellent stuff, David. All right, so one last thing, Brian. One last thing. One last thing. So you brought up this topic of so you said you'd, you'd seen a podcast with Elon Musk where they were talking about uh, AI and big data because really. You don't, AI works with big data. They, 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 they work hand in hand. They work right? hand in hand. Yeah. They, they really have to. I, when I was up at IT Dev Connections, I saw this great presentation by a Microsoft person, uh, Tara Ward, who talked about deep learning and AI and how really you, the larger your data sets are, the better it gets. And she demonstrated yeah. as an example facial recognition. And she pointed out that um, minorities and women it has a harder time with facial recognition to determine if they're if they're a woman or a man and determine what their what their emotions are. Really? Because the data sets for pictures that they have are smaller. They're smaller. And yeah, so over sense. time, yeah. you know, hopefully we'll we'll get more, you know, African Americans and get more Indians and get more um, Native Americans and all these different types of minority people, right? We'll get more of their pictures out there. Yeah. And the, mach- the and then the, the deep learning algorithms can, can become better at that kind of better, thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you, you, you had a, a topic to bring up about this. So why don't you go ahead and, and you, know, you can really go deep into this conversation, right? But out of that podcast, the thing that really struck me is right now there is a digital imprint of me somewhere out there. Digital well, probably multiple places. Probably multiple places. Yeah. You know, there's a digital imprint, you know, and that information uh, can be used in many different ways. And we talked about that information being used for good and maybe for bad. You know, it just really depends on what it is. <laughs> the good of it, I could, could be, you know, I can think the example that you were bringing up. Um, what was the example that you used earlier? For oh, the- so so one of the things that, that we talked about at IT Dev Connections again, right? But yeah. I had some conversations with some people about how... Um, you know, in one section we were talking about security um, and how you really need to be running employee sentiment analysis on your organization yes. to understand if your people are getting upset. That that can that can change their risk level. So, in other words, a person who's a green risk level, right? Yeah. Who's having great, they start going through a divorce and suddenly they need more money. They they've lost income. They're having to pay more things. They're unsettled. That can actually make them a security risk. They might not be paying as much attention yeah. to phishing attacks. They might be having to work a second job. They may be thinking, "Hey, I could take these medical records and make some money off of them." Right? Sure. So you need to you need we need to we need to be adjusting risk levels based upon the um, the sentiment of our employees and how 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 engaged they are. Yeah. Well, we were then saying, well, one way we could do that is. Hey, look! Inside of your organization, all of our all of my communications inside of Catapult are they're not private. I have no expectation of privacy in an email that I send to somebody, yeah, right? Anything that we or, do now. or chat, yeah, right? Because I mean, all of that stuff can can be and is monitored, sure, right? So what we could do is take all of that conversation that I have, right, and I could theoretically shove that against a sentiment analysis. Or you come back and say, well, looking at this stuff that David's been saying today, I'm guessing that David is starting to become angry. 
Okay? Yeah. Or he's becoming frustrated or he's becoming depressed. Looking for uncertainty terms. Over and time, right? Over time, you can actually, you know, because I think the AI stuff will pull back like 30 different emotions now. Okay, yeah. but I can watch my happiness quotient, my depression quotient, yeah. all these kinds of things. They could be monitored and watched, and they could actually, we could actually then say, "Hey, look, I see Brian over here. He's normally running at a depression depression number of point zero one. It's popped up to point two five. Yeah, right. Maybe maybe we, ma- maybe we do is we we send we send an email to Brian's uh, boss saying, "Hey, check in on Brian, make sure everything's going okay." Yeah, and now that seems big brotherish. Right, it that does. seems that seems kind of scary, and that can be scary if it's used the wrong way. Right, right. But I think we can also see how that could be a really cool way yeah, yeah, to sure. do some really neat things. Um, uh, my boss uh, Tim Cohn was talking about how he would love to do that with um, the home surveys that he used to help uh, automate with uh, uh, Department of Health and Human Services. They okay. go out and do foster home visits. Right. Oh, interesting. And yeah. see, imagine now the, the the service person wearing a body camera that's taking pictures, video of them walking through the house, and they're going down their checklist and they're marking off all the things that they do. But the AI in the background could be looking at the faces of the children and determining yeah. emotion. Right. Yeah. Uh, the it could be it could be looking at the 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 things that are in the place and determining how cluttered the house is or how clean it is, yeah. and all of these are things that in the background can be used to determine whether or not there's an yeah. incipient danger to the children inside. Yeah, inside and that's where you're a score or whatever you can figure out. Yeah, look, the, my son is autistic. Okay, and they have this thing they used to. They don't anymore because Google Google Glasses don't exist anymore, right? Right. But they had this device for Google Glasses that hooked into these back-end AI systems. And what it was designed to do was for people who have Asperger's or who are autistic, who have a difficult time determining facial expressions and emotions, what it was doing is, if I'm wearing that glasses, it would be taking a picture of your face, Mm -hmm. shipping that off to the cloud, coming back and saying, Brian is bored. And then what it would do is it would put bored over the top of your head. Yeah. And then I would know, oh, I need to, I need to shut down what I'm talking about. Brian's bored. Yeah. Right? Or now, now Brian is amused. Right? Yeah. Kind of like but, I am now. No, but, 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 that, but that's the cool thing. I mean, yeah. These are things that, you know, and actually Tara was saying, imagine putting this in an ATM. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Where, where you could do things like uh, determine the person is, is very nervous. Right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe do something like blink three times if you are under duress. Right? right. Yeah. And then it could see the person blinked three times, and it's going to say, "Okay, I'm now going to notify the authorities yeah. to send somebody out there to make sure that you're okay." That is fantastically cool things. Yeah. Then we have a Minority Report. Yeah. <laughs> right. We have the bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that it will be used that way. Well, awesome, David. This is always always excellent. Always fun to get yeah. back in here. Uh, so remember, everybody iTunes, the Cloud Whispers, Whispers. go out there, subscribe, send us comments, leave us five-star reviews, share with your friends, share with your families, share with your enemies. I don't care. Who? Just get people to listen to the Dern Podcast, okay? Yeah, and give us some topics, too. We'd love to cover a topic for you. So thank you so much, David. Appreciate it. Take care, Brian. 